Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Aaron Pym. And here on the pod, I like to interview fun and sexy guests here on the podcast, talking about sex and sexuality, having in-depth conversations. Today, I'm really excited. Um, this is like very exciting because I was actually just reading her book. Um, so really excited to talk about it. <laughs> Without further ado, everybody, please welcome to the mic, Moroccan-Canadian journalist, author of the new book, Halal Sex, Shema Benambarak. Hello, Shema. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, it's my absolute pleasure. I am <laughs> so deeply engaged in your book right now. So. <laughs> it's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's just, um, okay, I'll just, I guess I'll just start with some compliments. Uh, <laughs> start the interview off right, you know. Um, yeah, I am just so, um, it is just so gripping. I'm so invested. You just, um, you do these stories like so much justice, like they're so rich. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, you're immediately kind of transported into their lives. And you just want to know, you just want to know they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> like you care about them. Um, yeah. yeah. So maybe you know for the people who aren't um elbow deep in your in your book reading it <laughs> maybe we could just start with you telling us a little bit about your new book yeah of course um so halal sex is the new book and the subtitle is the intimate lives of muslim women in north america mm-hmm. and essentially it's a collection of lived accounts of Muslim women and gender expansive people um, across the continent, so Canada and the US. And there's about six accounts in there. And um, it's not set in a sort of like journalistic study or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's really um, their stories, their life stories, and how they reconciled. Um, the freedoms of sexuality that they have here with some of the restrictions and limitations of the faith. It's different when you live in, let's say, a Muslim majority country where the laws are religious, right? Sharia law is religious uh, jurisprudence and mm-hmm. everybody has the same laws and you're kind of like aware of the fact that sex outside of marriage is you know, punishable by law there. So here, I wanted to see what it was like for the Muslim women who um, were either born here or grew up here, and wh- how did they manage to negotiate those like differences, right? Like be- mm-hmm. belonging to a community that strongly feels, you know, certain way about sex outside of marriage and same-sex relationships and being trans and. Um, abortion and those types of things and being surrounded by peers at school or at work or wherever you are Mm -hmm. that, you know, just support 
that freedom because it's not against the law to do those things here. Was that like um, a premise that you set out to kind of, you know, get people and get stories to kind of reflect that thesis? Or was that something that developed once you started talking to some of your interviewees? Like what was the process of to of, of, as to how that, you know, that, that kind of thesis came about? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I knew exactly the question I was trying to answer from the mm-hmm. start. And it was exactly that, you know, what is it like for Muslim women here when they try to navigate their sexual lives while belonging to a faith that has um, very clear and strict restrictions around it. And I put out calls on social media Mm -hmm. and um, Reddit, Facebook groups, um, Instagram, etc. And a bunch of like Muslim organizations that shared the call with their followers and members and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, said that I was working on this book project and that I was would love to talk to um, anybody that fit the parameters and that wanted to talk about their sex life and with the knowledge that it would be included in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and the parameters were a Muslim uh, woman or non-binary person or um, trans woman and living in either Canada or the U.S., and what was the reception like? Did you have a hard time? Was it like pulling teeth to kind of get people involved, or were you flooded? Was it somewhere in between? Tell me about it. Um, I'd say that I was pretty. It was a very good reception. There was a lot of interest. Um, I was being contacted through all these, you know, mediums uh, pretty quickly. There and spoke to like dozens and dozens of people, um, and then word got out also and i even received like requests from men muslim men who wanted to talk and then i had to clarify that i that's it doesn't fall into that Mm -hmm. um frame but also i had to i got requests to speak from women that were living in the middle east for example and even then i was like i'm more than happy to have the conversation and listen to your story but i have to say that i won't be able to use it because you're not in, in in canada or the u.s were you ever and... tempted to like expand the parameters a bit by like, <laughs> did you get a good story, you know? And we're like, Ooh, yes. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there was one, one of the stories like in the, in the Middle East I learned about, I kind of had like suspicions about what was, how they, you know, went around those kind of limitations in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. But um, this was, it was the first time that um, I spoke to this lesbian woman who lives, who lives in um, one of the countries there. And she was telling me that it's so, so common that to have these like uh, all women parties at somebody's house. And they're like, and the women that are not married yet, so like the younger ones and um, get together and they basically just satisfy each other sexually. I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and and the thing is, they don't consider themselves like bisexual or lesbian or anything like that. It's just there's a certain, there's a need. And sure. they cater to that need. And then when they get married, they just move on. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was like fascinating and also proves the point that you can't stop people from doing things that come naturally to them 
you can't, you know, like, for example, you can't stop people from having abortions. We know that people will get illegal abortions. Yeah. You can't stop people from having sex. They'll find ways to have sex. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Even if it's not like with, yeah. And that also to me, cause I, um, you know, I talk to a lot of queer folks on the podcast and stuff like that. Um, and I've been so very blessed to, um, talk to some folks who identify as ace, who are, who are asexual mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, that just kind of solidifies this whole thing of like the relationship you are in doesn't define your sexuality. The um, people you sleep with, like as, as mm -hmm. wilded as, um, you know, an idea that seems the people you sleep with doesn't define your mm -hmm. sexuality. Like you can be a straight person and you can sleep with women um, because mm -hmm. guess what? Uh, the act of sex is physically pleasurable. And yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. people can have yeah. sex with all sorts of people. Why I mentioned the ACE portion um, yeah. uh, of learning that kind of via that lens is because ACE people are like, um, you know, first of all, they're on a spectrum, but, but for the folks mm -hmm. who don't, uh, feel sexual attraction for other people, they still can have sex. They still have sex, you yeah. know, because you have yeah. sex for other reasons and being attracted to that person, sexually attracted to that person is like one of the many, many reasons we have sex. Um, true. so that also that little story you just told me just kind of solidifies that as well, which is very, uh, true. very, um, yeah. enlightening. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, okay. How then did you, uh, six stories in the book, how mm -hmm. in the world <laughs> did you narrow, <laughs> narrow from like a lot of response you said down to just six? Yeah. Um, well, that was, you know, a bit difficult to do in the sense that, um, so I had sort of like a set series of five questions that I brought with me to every single conversation. And it wasn't the official interview. It was just like a sort of, uh, we get on Zoom, I ask the five questions, I get a feeling for what their life is like. And then um, I go back and think about it and figure out if that person's story really fits in. And so the plan was to get as many different types of orientations, um, socioeconomic status, ethnicities, uh, Islamic sects that I could include so it could be diverse. Um, yeah, diverse and inclusive and more than just one type of Muslim can relate to it. Mm -hmm. So that's how I proceeded. I had those conversations and then decided, okay, this these six are different enough that it gives us a glimpse of like the different issues that could potentially happen they can come across and things like that there were um initially about 10 10 people and um in the epilogue i even talk about it um three pulled out at the last minute mm. uh, when they realized that um you know when there was like a, a big publisher's name attached to it and that it was probably going to be distributed in a lot of places and it became too much um of a problem with regards to their like safety or yeah. life or like, you know, just work and things like that. Yeah. So, Cause even if they use a different name, it's like, I literally told you yeah. every aspect of my life, like my parents' lives. Yes. It's like it, the people are going to yeah. know, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And um, only one of the people in the book right now is uses her actual name and that's Iman. Mm -hmm. She's the comedian. 
Yeah, the Which community you had at your open. book uh, launch, right? Yes, exactly. Imano Husseini, yeah. So she already had kind of a public facing. Um, yeah. Yeah. She wasn't. Yeah, she, wasn't she talks super a lot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she talks, she talks, she talks a lot about her life. <laughs> and I asked her, I was like, do you want to use a pseudonym? And she's like, well, no. And she's like, we're fighting this fight. Like, I'm, I have no shame about this. I was like, excellent. Let's do it then. Yeah. I love that. Not to say that people who didn't use their actual name have shame surrounding this. It's just no. their situations. And as yeah, you said, she's, a, she's the only public the figure there. Yeah. There mm-hmm. you go. Yeah. That. Mm-hmm. Um, what, um, how did that feel for you as the author to have like people pull out? Was that kind of built in like this might happen or was that kind of mm-hmm. devastating for you? Do you have to scramble to like find other um, people? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't have to scramble. It was, it was sad for sure. Um, and I describe it also in the epilogue about how this, it's a type of like sorrow because, you know, I spent so much time talking to the same people and getting to know them. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. There was obviously like times when it felt like these beca- people became friends that, like, you know, when you kind of like blur the, the lines a little bit Absolutely. and I cared about them and, and, you know, um, like I started the book, I started the project, about like five years ago. And so like one of the women in the book was a university student. She just started her schooling and she was like in her dorm, like a week or two <laughs> into her dorm room life. And that's when I first started talking to her. And now she's actually like a working person in, in wow. the, the labor force and, and she's like a grown up. <laughs> so wow. time passes and, you know, I've, I've gotten attached to all of them. And so I understood for sure that anybody could pull out at any time. And I had to respect that. And I Absolutely. did respect that um, up until obviously the book was like published and on its way to like bookstores, then I can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, but that was my, that was really important for me that they were comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that is funny. My, my um, friend, it's not funny. I don't mean funny. The sort of thing I'm going to say is funny. Um, what you said, what you said is perfectly reasonable and understandable. Um, my friend was just uh, shooting a, uh, a film for like, took him like uh, three years, I think, three or four years total to shoot the film um, because pandemic happened and complications and it just takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Also, it was a feature film and uh, he joked mm-hmm. while when he was screening it that uh, our friend, uh, one of our friends who was the lead, you know, one of the leads in it, he uh, got to mm-hmm. see Lance uh, <laughs> turn gray, you know, as like, <laughs> there was, it was like some continuity, continuity issues, like, yeah, it was literally over this <laughs> four year period and somebody who's like around 40, like he fully went gray. <laughs> the film. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but like, that's, you know, that, that you spend a lot of time with these people, um, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm, I am curious, how long did it take you to like curate from like, you know, inception to now having your, your book launch? How long did it take? Mm-hmm. The entire project, um, yeah. well, I'd say about five years. Yeah. Wow. 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 Um, I started working on it five years ago. It was in my mind, sort of when I, because the, the idea came to me based on my experience a, a bit, right? It was, um, I grew up in Morocco mm-hmm. and um, there you can go to jail for two years for having sex before marriage. 
Um, and I was always like aware of that and especially aware of that because um, my mom was also, she's a, she's a very faithful person and she um, really kind of taught me that uh, my vulva is like the all important thing mm -hmm. <laughs> and needs to be preserved and that it's for a future husband and that type of thing. And, and so um, I was already aware of, of, of that kind of like um, friction, I guess, between what people were saying and what I felt was right for me. Yeah. And then coming to Canada, I started my university. So I graduated in Morocco from high school and I came to Montreal and, and started my university studies there and everything. And then I just started meeting a lot of different people and um, just realized that I, you know, your parents can be wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> and your community can be wrong. And the interpretations of, um, you know, the Quran can be wrong or, or restrictive or patriarchal because it's they're they're based on uh ninth century like men mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and their lens and they're human beings as well right mm -hmm. so i started to realize that and then just did a lot of readings and, and figured out um that there is a feminist approach to islam that people weren't really talking about too much can you talk a little bit more about that? That's so interesting. Yeah, of course. Um, so there's people like, you know, feminist women scholars in Islam, people like Amina Wadud or Asma Marabit, and they started publishing um, books and, and writings about how there can be a progressive, open, and feminist lends to the um, understandings and, and um, words of the Quran and that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're um, that it's blasphemy and that you're changing in you know anything like that it's just a question of interpretation and why weren't we thinking about that why weren't we, weren't we wondering um, these rules that become actual law that affect people's lives in like Muslim majority countries where'd they come from like what are how did those interpretations come about? And for sure, um, back then, you know, women weren't deciding what laws were going to be part of society or anything like that. It was just um, these Muslim men. And so the Muslim, there is such a thing as a Muslim patriarchy. There's a patriarchy across the globe. Yeah, like um, I feel to white people <laughs> listening, like this all sounds very familiar right now with everything yeah. happening with women's rights and with abortion rights and what's happening with trans folks right now. Like this is happening yeah. everywhere where people are just picking and choosing teachings from wherever, like the Bible, you know, and um, exactly. putting them through this kind of patriarchal lens and then like actually making laws that affect that affect women yeah, everybody's rights yeah. and stuff yes. exactly yeah and you know that that they've been historically interpreted to uphold the their status as the patriarchy yeah and to say like that's intended that's not an accident mm -hmm. that's like exactly you know, it's like exactly yeah yeah it's working exactly how it was supposed why, why it was um incepted, yeah. you know yeah. yeah 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 for sure to do that mm -hmm. so it's not exclusive to it's not exclusive to Morocco at all. No. <laughs> we all can see that very clearly right now. Like, Absolutely. That's not yeah. 
But what's um? Can you talk about a, some of the specific things maybe that, if you do look at it through a different lens, mm-hmm. that um, some mm-hmm. some specific examples of that perhaps? Sure, I can give you uh, an example, an interesting example, and it's the hijab, okay, um, or the veil, and how like it's just a lot of people assume that it's um, written in the Quran or that, you know, um, it's a, a hard rule or something like that. But in the Quran, nowhere does it stipulate it in those exact terms. It just says, dress modestly. Right. I've dressed modestly all my life and I haven't worn the hijab. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of like one example. And then you wonder like where you can see like all these men forcing their daughters to wear it and things like that. But, and if you, if you choose to wear it, props to you, no problem. I support people's choices, mm-hmm. right? It's just that when it's um, your father that's like forcing you to do that or your husband that's forcing you to do that um, and using the Quran as like, well, God said so. No, <laughs> you said so. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, you said so. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know? And then also like the, the talk about uh, same-sex relationships are... Um, a sin or like anybody that you know LGBTQ people are like destined to hellfire or crazy things like that nowhere does it say that (laughs) nowhere does it say that in there yeah same with the bible it's like yeah you know it it, they're talking about pedophilia when they say say that stuff in the bible they're not talking about homosexuality Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's just exactly this interpretation this anti um exactly exactly yeah so it's just that there's ways of, and, and not many people take the time or want to take the time or have the time to like read the Quran and do their own interpretations. So they just like relegate it to these men who have done the interpretations for us and accepted it. Um, since you brought up the uh, hijab wearing, um, in your mm-hmm. first story, I was... I I, um, connected so much to um, the reasoning that one of your lovely storytellers, um, Mm -hmm. why they wore the hijab. And and, um, it was because they didn't want people seeing them, looking at them without their consent. Mm -hmm. I, as as somebody who is... um, very publicly sexual um Mm -hmm. on the internet and in my Mm -hmm. in life in life in my profession like all of this (laughs) stuff that's something that i was like "Ooh, wow i i love that intentionality um Mm -hmm. because yeah i i um i'm often put at a spot you know because i put sexy pictures of myself on the internet where like people feel entitled to my body and Mm -hmm. um you know, uh, and like, yes, I am posting the picture. So, you know, and I understand that if I'm posting the picture, then people are going to like fucking be gross about it. Um, yep. <laughs> a big intention of me going into sex work is, was like, I'm going to be, um, you know, objectified anyway. Uh, but mm-hmm. it feels good for me to like put it in this container and to demand, um, like to have a paywall behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then yeah. I'm like, then I'm like, yes, you can only look at me if, uh, if you pay. 
So yeah. I don't I don't know. It's a very loose parallel that I'm drawing here. No, I, that's I agree what with it you. Felt like when I read that, that's what <laughs> it felt like you. to me. Yeah. I was like, absolutely. Everyone doesn't yeah. deserve, you know, to, yeah. uh, you know, look at you to to see your body too. So mm-hmm. I just found that intentionality so interesting. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. It's very, they're very similar ways of looking at your own body and agency, right? Yes. She's, you know, she's covering up her body and you're charging money for, you know, access to look at it. So yeah. those are just similar ways, like two sides of the same coin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Ish. Yeah. laughs> and I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you also, you can see like that she was, um, she wasn't forced to wear the niqab, right? Like exactly. yeah. her, her parents were like, no, take the time to think about it. Make sure that you want to do this. You live in you know Canada, like you, there's Islamophobia. It's like visibly um, Muslim and, and people are going to like judge you and things like that. And mm-hmm. she made that choice on her own. I mean, I wouldn't, yeah, like, like I don't want to wear the niqab for sure, but I support the fact that she can choose to wear on her own. Yeah, absolutely, because it's her own fucking body. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there was another moment um, that I read, I believe, in the next story, where um, there one of your storytellers was like in the car with their mom, I believe, you know, nine or ten, mm-hmm. and they kind mm-hmm. of declared out of nowhere to be like, "I'm waiting to have sex <laughs> until I'm married," and the mom was like, well, "You know, I never." I never told you to do that. Like, I'm not yeah. expecting you to do that, just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> and like, also yeah. just like weird that you just, that you're thinking of that <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kids, I guess. But like, that yeah. was an interesting thing also, because you would assume, you know, people who mm-hmm. don't know anything about this culture or, or mm-hmm. these people's experiences would assume that like a parent would be putting that on. Yeah, uh, the kid that they have to wait until marriage. So that was just kind of an interesting moment as well. Yeah, Can we talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 sort of like um, systemic oppression or systemic like racism or like things that happen in a structure, right? Like yes. how when a community believes this for you know decades and decades and decades and decades, and it just permeates the society, permeates the culture, permeates the schools and the books and the movies and things like that. So you kind of absorb these understandings as erroneous as they may be mm-hmm. um, through just existing in the world and existing in your own community. And so it completely made sense when Azar told me that um, and, and they didn't even understand why, um, like where that came from, but that that's how these things infiltrate um our minds really yeah because as we said it's like religion no matter what culture where you live in the world it's like religion Mm -hmm. is tied up in in media you know exactly wise you know like media like like lawmaking like every part of our lives oh yeah yeah exactly and purity culture and yes virginity and slut shaming and all of that stuff like is in movies (laughs) yeah like Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you exist as a person, you come across this stuff and you just like kind of take it in and don't even realize at one point why you believe certain things, which is, I think, one of the things that I'm um, encouraging with the book is to like question, where are you getting these ideas from? 
where, where, why are we just accepting things because they were told to us? Um, you know, like I've never been married. I'm almost 40. I've had multiple sexual partners and I've been with the same man for eight years now. And I, I'm choosing not to be married. And he understands that and supports it as like a sort of protest because there was this idea that like, if a man doesn't choose you to be his wife, then you are not respect worthy yes. or that he specifically doesn't respect you mm-hmm. when there's no one that respects me more than my partner. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I had to talk to that to, to my mom about that as well. And she's like, Oh, that's, I never thought about it that way. I was like, I don't need a legal paper to make me, um, respect worthy or like a good woman or a good Muslim woman or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like before we go any forward, any more forward in conversation, we would, we should talk about um, the title of the book and what that mm-hmm. means, because mm-hmm. I have to, I confess, I didn't know what that meant. And right. to have that kind of elaborated upon in the book, I was like, enlightened, I was quite surprised. So I'd love to also, um, you know, educate, yeah. educate the people. Who are listening yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. And the thing is, like, I was surprised um, I continue to be surprised sometimes now to, to hear that even some Muslims don't know what that expression refers to. Okay. And so I called the book Halal Sex on purpose, and it's not to antagonize people. It's not to like create stress. Yeah. It's like it's it's in your face, but it's, not, it's only ten percent that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's ten percent that. <laughs> But as an expression, as an expression in Islam, mm-hmm. uh, it refers to only sex between a married man and woman as permissible. Okay. Halal is just the term for permissible. And so you can have halal chicken, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, permissible chicken as opposed to like pork or whatever. And um, so what I have, the, my problem with that concept is that it leaves out many other relationship variations, including my own. Yes. And so I decided to use that title um, or that expression as the title so that I can, in a way, subvert the restrictive concept. Because I personally think all sex between consenting adults is halal sex. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. It's not my business. (laughs) Yeah. Like what's, what's happening between you and your partner or partners or whatever is it's really how was that yeah why is that law why you know what I mean it makes no sense I I thank you for that definition I um have a lot of experience in food service so I only knew that word in relation to food (laughs) (laughs) I know I know most most non-Muslims absolutely were like hey right food related yeah what are we doing here Post podcast is sponsored by Come As You Are. Founded as a worker-owned cooperative, Come As You Are has a fundamentally anti-capitalist and feminist approach to sexual pleasure, health, and education. Come As You Are doesn't profit from your pleasure and only stocks products that they truly love and believe in. Come As You Are has been voted best sex shop in Toronto since 1997. 
check them out at comeasyouare.com or 254 Augusta Avenue in Toronto's own Kensington Market. We are also sponsored by Club M4 Toronto. Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA. And now you can go to their website, www.clubm4.com. If anything looks interesting and you want to check it out, head on down to Club M4 at 1989 Dundas Street, Mississauga. Can I ask you if there's anything during your interview process and, and gathering these stories and writing them, is there anything that kind of, that kind of surprised you? Mm-hmm. or that you learned a little bit actually yeah mm-hmm. um there was the concept that i always thought at first you know when i was becoming an adult here in canada everything and doing all this research and like learning things about myself and who i wanted to be and all of that that a way to like fight against people who say you're not muslim enough or you're do- you know if you're eating pork you're not muslim if you're having sex before marriage you're not a muslim Mm-hmm. And and deciding whether you're Muslim or not is that you just leave the faith, or that you move away from it, or that you like reject it. And if that's if Islam's not your thing, absolutely leave it. Um, there is a group called um, the ex Muslims of Canada or the ex Muslims of North America, and um, they have the right to like just leave the faith. In Muslim majority countries, you can't. You can actually like go to jail for that. Um, so everybody should have the right to to leave the faith or stay in it. But I didn't even think about it in that way. It was just very binary my thinking with regards to like spirituality and faith. Mm-hmm. So when I started talking to all these people, I didn't come across anybody that was like, "I hate Islam. I don't want to be a Muslim." I like I'm leaving it. It's a you know very restrictive religion, or it's against you know my lifestyle. So like I'm leaving it. Mm-hmm. No, they all felt strongly about their Muslim identity. They all love the culture, love the faith, love being a Muslim. They just have a problem with how narrow some of the definitions of what a Muslim woman can be, and how she can live, or you know a non-binary person or you know, all of those things. So that's, I think, one of the things that, like, it was, like, a pleasant surprise to see that um, people do want to stay in the faith. They do want to be progressive about it and all that stuff. It's not, you know, they want to fight to keep it um, open to different types of humans. Yeah. How how do you compromise that? I know we have some examples obviously in your book of folks that do do hold both of those things at the same time right Mm -hmm. that there are some inherent you know differences that Mm -hmm. i have with with it but also i feel very strongly about it as an identity and i'm a religious person or whatever whatever yeah Um, what are some of the compromises that people make there i think uh one of the ones that comes to my mind is um, this idea of what God is mm. or um, whether it's it has female or male attributes or whatever um, 
and you know because like a lot of people say Allah and they refer to it in a masculine way okay and Azar who um was formerly uh, a, a neuroscientist um talks about how for them um faith and god is just this is actually like intertwined with science that you know that they, they can see god in like cells and how perfect um the universe operates and how like for example you know we're not constantly <laughs> crashing into different planets or meteorites or whatever and that the blood that goes through that rushes through your body and like the you know things get converted to air and all of this stuff and that for them islam is actually proof of scientific understanding mm-hmm. i thought that was interesting that they you know they they were able to like reconcile this, yeah. yeah this yes. idea of being a scientist with something that is inherently lacking of proof yeah. like yeah. faith is basically you believe in something without proof without proof yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love that that so, is interesting that reminds yeah. me of um I saw Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's a very popular, you know, astrophysicist, mm-hmm. um, him talking about trans people. Um, yeah. He was in a interview and someone was trying to corner him into saying that, you know, you have biological males and biological females and that science isn't it. And yeah. he, um, him as a scientist, mm-hmm. said that if something is there they're hanging on this world of being real you know it has to be Mm -hmm. scientifically real for it to exist and he was kind of explaining this thing of like well socially like what science does i'm probably gonna butcher this by the way but like (laughs) what science does is like uh, taking something that and and researching it to find out more about it because it is interesting you know what i mean and he was saying that trans people exist in society they exist socially and like Mm -hmm. you know something that exists socially exists and so (laughs) scientists should be very interested in that Mm -hmm. you know um yeah and yeah that 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 whole thing of he was also doing that thing of like trying to bridge this gap for people who are like well science there is man and women and you know Mm. you're born this way and this is what is happening with your chromosomes and your cells therefore blah blah blue yeah and um he was also trying to kind of draw the comparison of like well yeah trans people exist because yeah they're around us yeah (laughs) or even yeah or even that idea of like uh and this one i think through all religions that 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 homosexuality is unnatural right what are you talking about it's all all over nature it truly is (laughs) (laughs) i watched yeah i watched like a compilation video on something tiktok probably so i'm an old lady that's just now getting into it um and it was showing all the different giving tons of different examples of how homosexually sexuality exists in nature Um, absolutely so again, it's that thing we were talking about of like, okay, somebody interpreting, you know, texts yeah. um, to say that it's un- unnatural or whatever. And it's like, exactly. Well, yeah. Who is like interrogating this? Who made And these? what is their agenda? 
Yes. Right? <laughs> exactly. Like, what do they want? Why are they trying to control, like, women's reproductive abilities and choices and, um, uh, yeah, decisions? Yeah. Why? You know? And and I think another example of um, that whole bridging thing that we're talking about is mm-hmm. how Khadija, um, the sex worker, she was talking about how she's found ways to pray and in her own home and it resembles meditation and that that's what works for her. But then when she's with her family, she's happy to go to the mosque and pray with them the way that they pray. But that for her, prayer is is the same thing. It's just that it, it takes different, um, it looks different in different circumstances in her life. Um, since you brought up sex work, I am a sex worker. Um, mm-hmm. Since you brought up sex work, I was so very, I'm, I'm a kink facilitator. So I was so very yep. delighted to read in the very <laughs> first story, someone, this person um, that you're featuring, the first person, mm-hmm. Yeah. She's kinky. Yeah. <laughs> she, yep. wants, she wants to have some kinky sex. She does. And she's such a, she's like a powerhouse because yeah. like how, how many, how often do you, do you find like young, a young woman who grew up in, in an environment, let's say that was like a bit restrictive or not necessarily open about kink deciding that that's the kind of sexuality that she wants to have. And if the husband that she's married to isn't giving her that, well, she's going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> power to her <laughs> right right and she's she's fully covered and wears a niqab and everything and then if you you know saw her history i'm sure like tons of people would make a judgment about her and her sexuality and whether that she's submissive and that she has no agency and all of this stuff when she's got a lot more agency than people like girlfriends i have here that are white mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> and just this like physical imagery of this person dyes their hair blue and mm-hmm. every color under the rainbow um, mm-hmm. and covers it obviously in public um yeah but like it's kind of that thing of the the, the don't, don't judge you know you're an author so ha 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 but like <laughs> don't judge a book by its cover you know what i mean That's like, yeah yeah you don't know what's going on with people's lives of course you know exactly. you don't know their intentionality you don't know anything about anyone <laughs> that's yeah. not you yeah yeah you, you exactly. know about you and you know what you like and you know what you you know believe in and stuff like this mm-hmm. so like to project you know your ethics your mm-hmm. um morality onto other people um mm-hmm. uh, seeing you know seeing someone and assuming it's because of whatever so harmful exactly so very it is harmful. absolutely and you know like i hear sometimes just like in conversations people asking like oh well, is she straight or is she bi or, you know, what, what's her sexuality and everything? I'm like, listen, (laughs) I don't care unless you are trying to have sex with me. (laughs) Yeah. That's the only time I'm interested in knowing what your sexuality is. If I'm attracted to you and I want to sleep with you, I will gauge whether (laughs) you are attracted to me. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, like we don't need to, um ask these like curious questions when it involves you personally you know yeah like what people do with their bodies people existing literally has nothing to do with you unless you're like 
you know, you yeah. should only be curious, like, what <laughs> genitals this person has. Like, if you are literally there, they're naked in front of you. Like, like exactly. That's that the only exactly. time it will affect you, literally. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So, like... Yeah. <laughs> um, what was your what was your favorite thing to write? What was your favorite moment to write about in this book? Because we're talking about mm -hmm. some like heavier kind of we're both I can hear us yeah. both getting angry. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> keep it light. Keep it light. So let's try. <laughs> let's let's think of like one of your what was what just absolutely energized you to write about? Um, I think uh it's so funny when I was like writing these chapters, like after each one, I'd be like, she is my favorite. <laughs> but then it, every single one was my favorite. Yeah. Um, but I think that um, Bunmi, the um, Nigerian American um, girl who was, she was, she was the youngest of the, of the people in the book. And so um, I saw her change the most and yeah like when we started talking she was pretty closed in on herself she was wearing uh, she was wearing a hijab um she was just starting university and like didn't know how to like connect with her peers and and how to like start partying and whether she was she's like i'm a virgin and i don't you know she didn't know whether it was during her growth and her experience as like a university student. And I don't think that you need to have sex to be in university or have a wonderful experience at university. But if you are questioning that, and if it is something that's coming up in you, I think that you have the right to figure that out and to, to look into it and to question. And so I loved writing about how she's like her, she's she's a human being so she's not a character but like her character arc <laughs> yeah you know like it's how coming of how, age story exactly like mm -hmm. now you know how she she went um she traveled and to, to africa and, and felt um seen and connected as a black woman also you know um in a place where um she's not it's not a minority you know and um how she started um, dating women. Mm -hmm. And she was, when I first met her, she was like 100% or thought she was 100% straight. Or was told, I guess, yeah. that she was 100% straight is more like it. Assumed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, and, and she started with all these like um, rules in her head and in her mind that were transmitted to her that she didn't, she was struggling with and then eventually allowed herself to try different things and now she's like happily you know on tinder and knows how to navigate it and you know Amazing. she yeah, it was that yeah like her her growth and then she took off the hijab again i'm not against hijab but if you want to take it off you should have the right to so she she took it off and then you know kind of like shaved her head and started like um basically i just watched her grow into who she is and change her identity and become a woman. And um, I, at one point I was telling her, I kind of wrote it in the sense that like, she she removed the hijab for good. And then she came back to me. She's like, don't say that. She's like, I'm not sure it's for good. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah Amazing. Like You're that. right. Yeah, yeah. You're right. 
so that was the section that that I think um, I have the most affection for. Um, I love that little edit that you just mentioned. Um, I think something that's really important as a sex worker who has gotten interviewed for things for, you know, mm-hmm. media, a documentary, uh, you know, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. How, um, how much did you involve, you know, your participants, like in the editing process to make sure mm-hmm. that their story was getting told fully and in the way, and as we mentioned before, like, in the intention that they wanted, you know, unbiased or or whatever it was. How how involved did you absolutely? Have yeah. Well, I think the entire experience was at first very difficult for me. Um, so I did my university studies here and learned about journalism here, and there's a very specific mainstream way that people approach journalism here and teach it even Mm -hmm. so um i i had a a really hard time because i didn't know how to cover first of all a marginalized community yes and secondly one that is my own um so you know like i i i knew that i would care for them and i didn't want to like parachute in there and take stuff and then just leave and and misunderstand and all of those things so I couldn't apply this sort of journalistic rule of don't show your sources or don't show the people that you're covering um, your article or your book or, or the, the work that you're doing before yeah. publication yeah. because there's, it, they have, you know, historically this idea that they don't want, you know, um, they don't want people to take back what they've said or, you know, not want to participate and all that stuff. But I couldn't live that way. I couldn't approach this that way because I knew that if somebody wanted to leave and not participate anymore, that I had to accept that and that I wanted to accept that. Mm -hmm. And that there's no way that I could spend so much time with them, talking to them, listening to them, visiting them. Um, You know, I went to the mall with some of them um like i couldn't (laughs) (laughs) right you you go you go to the mall with your friends (laughs) so um and and then in the end um not get their blessings for how they were going to be presented to the world even though their names their real names are not attached and i've you know there are no specifics about where they live or you know who they are and and what they do for livings you know for living and things like that Mm -hmm. um so I had to show them. I, I sent them their chapter, every single one, and they got to look through it. And then they got to come back to me and be like, I think this is too identifying, or I think this is actually uh, factually incorrect. I was wearing a red dress. I wasn't wearing a blue one or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Or this is actually, you know, anybody that would read this would know that it's me and it might get me in trouble. So, like, let's pull away a little bit and that kind of stuff. So um, that made me feel a lot better. It was risky, quote unquote, in the sense, in the industry, because I was like, well, you're not supposed (laughs) to do that, right? Yeah, exactly. I I relinquished all control, essentially. And it was scary. Right. I was just like, I gave them agency and authority and power and all this stuff that we don't usually give to um, 
sources and people who you you know interview for things and stuff like that and so i had to accept that i had to accept that vulnerability and that um you know it's possible that all six might come back to me and be like nope forget it <laughs> and then i was gonna have no book exactly so but i could live more with that yes than doing something that would put them at harm's risk or at um to be rejected by their homes or families or like put them in a you know situation that they were uncomfortable with or have them be a part of something that they didn't believe in or exactly or consent to like continuously yeah Yes, yes. Ongoing conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I will clarify like when I was saying about like me getting interviewed, you know, when when I do like for media type stuff, it's usually mm -hmm. by a non sex worker, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes there is some interpretation that every writer does, you know, they form mm -hmm. sentences mm -hmm. out of, you know, an interview, right? So it's like, yeah. sometimes it's like, ooh, but the way you interpreted that or the way you said that, like, that wasn't what I meant. And yeah. that's you know, I see impact, greater impact in the statement you took out of my interview. So it's like that mm -hmm. thing sometimes where there is that um, miscommunication, even if it isn't intentional, you know? Yeah. Um, do you think that like this thing you did where you allowed them to have so much agency, was that because mm -hmm. it was partially like your story as well, that you were invested because of that or, or why, why choose to do that in this particular book? Because it was um, doing the opposite would be doing to them exactly what the Muslim patriarchy did to me. Yes. Yeah. That's why I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. um, the whole point of the book is like, you need to question and own your body and you have rights and yes. you know, you need yeah. to defend your sexuality and your orgasms and just your freedom in general um, from anyone that wants to take it away from you. So I couldn't possibly um, take away their agency when I'm, that's exactly the heart of the book. That's what I'm, promoting is that everybody gets to make their own choices yeah exactly mm. it would go against literally the thesis of the book <laughs> exactly and um you know there were times when um i had to let them guide the conversation and exactly how much they wanted to like reveal about one thing or another and yeah. an example of that is is again khadija um when she was talking about her sex work and there's a there's a part where she talks about how she got assaulted mm -hmm. and in by one of her clients at one point and i just i like i sat there and i let her say how much she wanted to say about it mm -hmm. and what that was is not much mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's it you know and it just of, it, yeah period yeah yes exactly end of sentence like, Next exactly paragraph. and i was like yeah absolutely we don't need to know any details that you don't want to share with us and the only reason she opened up about that experience is to show why she went back to school or like how she wants to have more options and that what that person did to her was stripping her of her ability to like consent and make decisions and things like that and there's just like no way on god's green earth that i can do that to people and that's important 
Yeah, that's important to include, you know, mm-hmm. of course, because it shows that everyone's journey is not linear. Yeah. And that we're always at risk as women, wherever we are, mm-hmm. whatever work we're doing. And whatever you're wearing. Whatever you're wearing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Just for the last few minutes we have together, um, I want to know about the reception of your book now that it's released and your book Mm -hmm. launch. Tell me, like, (laughs) your experience with that. Um, So it's only been a couple of days, but the book launch was amazing. I had um, a lineup of um, Muslim uh, women comedians, and one of them is Chapter 4, Iman. Mm-hmm. And she was the headliner, and I think there was so much laughter, and it was just such a great night. I recognize and... one of the names, Noor Hadidi, plays with my friend yeah. Natalie Norman a lot, so I don't know her personally, oh, but cool. I was like, hey, I know her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. She was amazing. Everybody loved all three of them. Nice. Um, and I think we there were like almost like 300 people in the venue, and it wasn't – I set it up that way because um, I didn't – it's not in my nature to take up like all the space. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh, in my nature to be like, we all need to get together and celebrate and, you know, be a community and support each other and all of that stuff. So um, I just wanted to like host it and talk about the book and why I did it, but I wanted it to be like a night of celebrating. Um, everyone. Yeah. And, and celebrating Muslim women and, um, gender expensive people and their right to be Muslim and sexual and have free will and be respected and all of that and that they have a space in in Islam yeah. um, and uh, so there was the signing of the autograph portion of it mm-hmm. and there were a lot of people everybody was happy and and one of I'll give you an example of one of the things that people said to me that I'm still trying to like process um, yeah process exactly because <laughs> you know you go from like being this by yourself in a room writing for ages and all of a sudden people are like talking to you about this thing yeah. um it's 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 a lot to take in and so um this brown woman came up to me and, and i was signing her, her book and she goes um you know i'm a therapist i was like oh that's wonderful she's like i'm not kidding this book can save lives she's like i have oh. a lot of yeah, she's like, I have a lot of um, clients that have religious trauma. Thank you for this. And I, I was just like, I hugged her. I almost started crying. Oh. <laughs> I bet, and I bet she's going to recommend your book. Like, Yeah, 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 you know? exactly. Essential yeah. reading materials. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Did you expect <laughs> that? No. No, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect it to be that emotionally connecting to people but can you can you see that now <laughs> yeah, that it is that it, it is yeah. <laughs> exactly i mean yeah yeah it's it, i'm i'm processing how now like the like a door has opened to you know allow all these people to like interact with the book right like i was alone with it or just me and my editor for ages and so mm-hmm. i had no idea whether people would connect with it or not how does that feel to finally, after all this time, um, have it be released? What is, is it weird? Mm. Mm. Weird. Um, 
it's 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 no not do you even remember what you wrote at this point you know <laughs> like it's so exactly, long ago <laughs> exactly. it's uh not that it's, it's not weird it's um it's it's interesting it's curious it's to see it like kind of like gain its own traction or its own life and stuff like that and it's it probably would be different if it was like a memoir where it's like all about my life but it's not about me mm-hmm. so it's like people interact with it the way that they want to interact with it and it just makes me feel so connected to everybody mm-hmm. and that's a feeling like that's kind of new to me in this country specifically to like be in a room for example at the launch and so many of those people are like pakistani or arab or you know um persian or just muslim in general and seeing all these faces that look like mine or and and receiving so much love from people that look like me and come from places like me and experiences like mine it, it feels really it feels warm and connecting you saying it's not about you i'm gonna counter that <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah can we tell the people shema where we mm-hmm. can get your book where they can find it and um where people can like you know find you on socials find the book on social so that they can share it um absolutely. so that people can see see the great work you're doing absolutely um so you can buy it anywhere um in canada really from any of your local indie bookstores which is probably best support independent bookstores mm-hmm. um you can also buy it from um indigo they have it on their website. And if you go on to um, Penguin Random House's uh, Canada's website, they, you can find the book and it, you can click on the shop local and it'll give you those options. It's on Amazon as well. And for now, it's just it's limited to Canada, but we're working on um, getting it in American publisher as well. Is it at, is it at Glad Day? By any chance? I bet it is. Yeah. I bet it is too. I'm trying to Google it right now. I'm like, I bet it is. Okay. (laughs) That's my favorite. (laughs) Great. And where can we find and follow you in the book on your socials? Yeah. Uh, So on social media, I'm on Instagram. I'm most active there. I respond to messages and things like that. Um, And it's just S. Ben and Barak. I'm on Twitter as well. And on Facebook, it's Shama Ben Barak author page. Fabulous. Uh, folks, you should know where to follow me by now. I'm the most active on Twitter at the Lady Pim One. But if you must go on over to Instagram, you can follow me at the Lady Pim or at the Bedpost Podcast. We have a Patreon. It's called the Bedpost Show. We have a YouTube channel. It's also called the Bedpost Show. And as I mentioned, I'm an old lady on TikTok. Um, that is at the Lady Pim as well. <laughs> I never like to go an episode without thanking the lovely lady who does all the original music for my podcast. She is Stephanie Copeland. You can find more about her at Steph Copeland music.com until then shema benham barak this has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for your time today thank you thank you it was really fun talking to you it was fun talking to you too everybody go buy halal sex um and then yeah we'll see you next week with another fun and sexy guest here on the bedpost podcast talking about sex and sexuality until then get fucked everybody goodbye